Welcome to the Paranormal Pendle podcast, coming to you from the heart of Pendle Witch Country in the northwest of England. My name is Craig Bryant, author, investigator, and collector of stories. Join me as we take a journey into the paranormal, UFO sightings, cryptozoology, and big cats. This is the Paranormal Pendle podcast. Welcome to episode three of Paranormal Pendle, broadcasting to the Paranormal UK Network at paukradio.com. On this episode, we head up to the northeast coast of England, where I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by none other than Paul Sinclair. So, hi, Paul. Uh, thanks for agreeing to join us this evening. Oh, thank you very much. A pleasure. And uh, you were kind enough to do the same for us. And I must say that your intro is a lot better than mine. <laughs> Thank you. I, I really enjoyed the video that we did. And if people haven't seen it, it's on Paul's YouTube channel. Um, and he can tell us all about that later on. So, Paul, could you just start off? For, I mean, you know, there are going to be some people out there that, that perhaps don't know a lot about what you do. Could you give us a brief bio of yourself? Um, where you're based and how the whole Truth Proof investigations and books came about? Yeah, we... Based in Bridlington, East Yorkshire, I say we, because obviously I'm with my wife of, I think it's 39 years, I'm 58 years old, yeah, four girls, all grown up and doing their own things, uh, they don't have an avid interest in the unexplained, but they sort of support me, they, they, you know, they don't have a little snide, snide laugh at me as, uh, uh, by, by any, any sort of token, but uh, we just, we just sort of get along, I've, I've sort of had a decent job all my life and earned enough money that not loads of money people but enough money that I could sort of pack in work at 48 and devote full time to unexplained phenomena research and I also I wrote the first truth book in 2016 never thinking that I would do another one and now I'm on with number five that will be the last one because getting up at five in the morning and writing for three or four hours, it just becomes too much, Craig, you know? But they've been re the books have been received well. And, you know, but not just by the people who've read them, but by people who are in the field of unexplained phenomena. And that kind of means a lot that you, you're, on, you're on the right path, you're doing something right. Although they are, I don't sort of aspire to, to, to be a writer like anyone else. I suppose, like yourself, Craig, when you did Shadow Man of Accrington, you you just wrote it as you saw it, and you, you it was it was Craig writing the book. Well, that's the same with me. I'm not. I, I, there's no airs and graces. I've been asked to speak all over the world. I've turned most of them down. As, you know, I've spoke at Awakening in Manchester uh, a few years ago. I've spoke at Chris Evers' con um, I'm going to say concert, then people uh, conference. But I it's just. I can I, I can get loads of things wrong, guys. So I spoke at Chris Evers' conference, and um, that's purely because me and Chris have been friends 30 years, because primarily my research, Paul Sinclair likes feet on the ground. I like to be out. If there's something happening in some forests with gamekeepers, I want to be in them forests. I want to be camping in them, and I want to do it while ever I'm able. You know, 58 years old, four years' time, I'm not saying I won't be able to do it, but you just don't know what's round the corner. So there's plenty of time to write books. That's what I'm saying. So I think it's all about feet on the ground research. There's too much, in my opinion, and there's, I'm not labeling this to anybody, but there's too much research done just behind a keyboard and a copy and paste of other people's ideas. 
and putting your own slant on it, but not actually doing anything. You know, old cases that are just rehashed and, and redone and redone and redone. I mean, people have made a living from it on, on UFO conference circuit. And to me, people want to hear something new. Doesn't mean I've got the answers, Craig, you know, and I, I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of people like myself, they're just doing the research, they've got their head down, they're trying, they're looking, does, it doesn't mean that we we know. You, I, I tend to, my ears just close up as soon as I, I speak to the guy who says to me or the lady, I can tell you what's happening here. I can tell you this, I can tell you. But invariably, they can't. Otherwise, these people would, it would be the holy grail of the phenomena that we're trying to solve. So... I know that's a bit of a long-winded intro into what I'm about, Craig, but uh, yeah, just we, we just do what we do. I mean, like yesterday, I know we've got all these coronavirus restrictions and things, but I were out there because there's been a strange animal mutilation and, I, you know, early doors, I'm up on these deserted places looking, looking for signs of it. A few days before that, I'm casting prints. But I, you probably want to get to some of the, those details, but anything in particular you want to start with, Craig? Yeah, could we start with the recent spurt of big cat sightings that you've had up there in, in the northeast? Yeah, um, I'm fortunate that I own a thermal camera. Uh, I've only had it about six months. We got it as part of the documentary that we've, we're sort of filming at the moment, Wolflands, and we thought it might come in handy and it'll give us some alternative shots. But up on the cliff tops at Flamborough, oh, I don't know, probably six weeks ago, I haven't got the exact date in front of me. I've Filmed in thermal, but obviously we've got the heat signature, a big cat. I've put one image, one frame capture on social media, if anybody wants to go on the Truth Proof web, uh, you know, web page or Facebook. And I think there's one on our website, truthproof.co.uk. And it, it definitely is a big cat. I mean, I've not had anybody say that's a dog. Unfortunately, due to COVID, I mean, this is a private field I've been filming across on clifftops. I'm, I'm going to have to get on that field and contact the farmer. I want to put something in perspective so that we can get an idea, so that the viewer can get an idea of just how big this was. Because obviously it could be, it, it could be somebody's tabby cat that's just having a wander across a field. But, you know, there's a lot of that. In, you see newspapers and there's a big cat sighted. And it's quite obviously that it's not a big cat. It's, it's somebody's pet cat and it just looks big from a distance. But I, I suggest anybody who's interested have a look at the, at the, the image. But Craig, Well Lane Bypass in Bridlington, which is just on the outskirts of the town, probably once again, about six weeks ago, a guy walking his dogs late at night, he walks them late because he said his dogs are a little bit feisty. That's his exact words. These, these areas can be Googled if anybody wanted to. It's just an unassuming road. He's there at 12 o'clock at night and he's got these two large dogs walking and they became alert. He says, they don't chase cats. It's just because he's got a cat at home, but they hate other dogs. And they just became alert and sort of they sensed something. He said, and he's looking down the road to where the bridge is on the bypass. And he sees this dark animal and it ran across the road and up the embankment. And he's, if for all intents and purposes, he says it was a black panther or something resembling. He said it wasn't a dog. He, he said, I'd be interested to know how my dogs reacted when they got to spot. He said, they just, they absolutely were sort of, excited and full of energy and different to how they would be with his normal house cat at home. So there was that one. And then we'll stay with bypasses about 12 miles away. There's a place called Leven Bypass. <clears throat> it's just coincidence that we've got these two places. Now, a good friend of mine, 
uh, we'll just call him Kez, that's his nickname, Kez, he was filling his car up with fuel at the bypass during the one afternoon about four weeks ago. He stood behind this old chap who was getting served, and he must have known the cashier, this chap, and the, the lady said, have you had a good day? Are you enjoying yourself sort of thing? How are you coping? And he said, okay. He says, but I've just seen a big cat. So Kez, his ears pricked up, because he's interested in this subject, he quickly paid, followed the guy and managed to catch up with him before he drove off. He, he said, excuse me, he said, I'm, I'm just intrigued. You've seen a big cat. He, he says, yeah, he says, I come here every day. He said, oh, this, they must sell coffee. He said, my wife has a coffee, sits in the car, and I take some exercise. And I didn't know this, but at the side of Leven Bypass, there is a disused road. So obviously the, nature's overtaken it, you know, the tarmac's overgrown with sort of, I don't know, grass, vegetation, and there's a ploughed field at the other side of it. He said, and he's walking, he's done his usual 15, 20 minutes of exercise. I've spoke to the guy. I, don't, I, I won't do second-hand information if I can help it, because you want to be as close to truth as you can. And Kez got his number and they put me in touch. So he said, I'm just walking back. I'm just within sight of my car. And I looked across the ploughed field. He says, and the deep ruts, probably where they've been, I don't know, I'm not a farmer, but getting ready for potatoes, I don't know, but he says, deep furrows. He says, and I see a big cat, a big black cat. This is 12 miles away, bear in mind, uh, probably a little bit more from, from Leven Bypass. Sorry, from Well Lane Bypass. So he says, I can't believe what I'm looking at. He says, and it's, it's clearly a, a big cat. He says, it's not somebody's pet. He said, because that if that had dropped in one at furrows, you wouldn't have seen it. Do you know what I mean? So he shouted his wife and she came over and I spoke to his wife as well. And they both agreed that it were a Labrador sized black cat that were moving along the field. It went into the edge row at the end of the field and, and descended. So I find it interesting that these cats that allegedly don't exist in the UK are seen and, and the seen in places where you wouldn't expect them to be seen like, you know, it's on edge of a built-up area, Leven Bypass, uh, the Well Lane Bypass. It's just on the edge of Bridlington Town. Now, there's been one seen at Buckton as well, which is about three miles from where I live in last month. Uh, that you were seen drinking at the pond at Buckton. There's a sort of natural pond that's there. Interestingly, two years ago, I mean, there's a picture of me in the local paper as I'm investigating the beast of Buckton Pond. Basically, it were a big cat sightings by about five independent witnesses, not unknown to each other. So clearly something's been seen, but the same place. What I find interesting, Craig, with these cats is that we, we, we believe that they're real. Obviously somebody's seeing something, but if, the, if they're transient or they move on to another area and they're just seen around springtime, the, then where are they going? Why aren't they being seen in other areas? Because if you look at the papers around, you know, the last few weeks, this the, the, the national papers, and th there's reports of people allegedly seeing cats in different parts of the country. And I just find it amazing that everything's a bit barren at the moment. Crops haven't grown. So it's, it's pretty exposed. That's what I'm saying. And these cats are being seen. So if this cat at Buckton that was seen a few years ago moved on, where has it moved on to? Why has it, it been seen? And why is it these particular months? I, I don't want to place too much of a paranormal element on the cats because I do believe, we know that the, we've got the 1976 Wildlife Act where 
people had to sort of license their animals and allegedly a lot were released into the wild. But the, in, in the wild, naturally, the cat lives to 15 to 17 years. So that's passed. But we can assume that there might have been a pair released and there's breeding populations. I do know now after, I wouldn't say getting to know farmers well up around North Yorkshire, but these remote pockets around Harwood, Dale and places that they, they're quite aware that there's black cats. Well, not, I'm not, I'll not call them big black cats breeding up around them areas. And they're quite happy to let them be. Apparently they're keeping the deer population down. And it's sort of, <clears throat> I, I don't know, it, it, it can't be a secret because I'm talking about it, but I, I've, I've got to know people who do know and gamekeepers. Or, and they're quite confident that they're there and they don't want people like me investigating it, not because they don't like me, but I think they associate people like me, like yourself, who look at these kind of things and thinking suddenly my land might become a thoroughfare if I reveal that big cats are up there. And that wouldn't be my game. I've always discouraged people when I know there's an area where people don't want anyone else to go. A, I don't tell anybody where it is if that's that's what these people require. And, and, and B, I wouldn't encourage lots of people to, to sort of invade that habitat. You know, I mean, uh, you know, or them sort of natural surroundings for these animals. So I, th I do think they're here. But then let's just jump into the woo slightly. We've got a lane in Bridlington, uh, Bempton Lane. It, it's called Short Lane and it, and it run, it's the lane that links Bempton to Bridlington. And it's an unassuming lane. Uh, there's just sparse edge row either side of it, which are broken up from 20 foot edges that are 10 foot wide, just, just hawthorn, there's nothing, and then crops either side. But when I've looked through all these archives over the years, and I mean decades and decades of archives, we've got big cat sightings on Short Lane. People traveling along Short, it's a single track road with pull-ins and people have seen big cats. There's a lady walking her horse on Short Lane Let's go back to the 90s, I think. And she said there were one at the side of the road. Just she tail was flicking up and going down as she's walking her horse. And I'd, I'm no reason to disbelieve her. And but then you've got all these individuals that are spanning. I don't mean hundreds of people. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. But we've got a lot of reports for a lane that isn't even a mile long with just fields either side and no natural cover where big cats are being seen. But, and I find that quite amazing. I think there's something else happening there. Not only that, but we've got UFO reports on Short Lane. Uh, a guy, this is 2006. I don't have information in front of me, but I'll, well, it, I'll, I'll tell it you as best as I can. This guy's got his first car. Uh, I spoke to him. We were face-to-face -face meetings, told me about this. I went speaking about big cats. When I called at their farm to speak about big cats, and he had no knowledge of it. He said, but I have seen a, a UFO. I said, really? He said, yeah. And I, I said, well, can you tell me about that? He said, yeah, it went on Short Lane. And this is 2006. Uh, ironic, because I've not mentioned the lane to him. And he's bought his first car, and he's a young guy, we'll say 18. And he's going around town, Bridlington town, with a few friends in the car. And the, 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 I don't know, they're, they're trying to impress girls. I don't know what they're doing, but they're just they're just being youth they're just enjoying themselves not causing no bother no no alcohol inside his system or anything they're just enjoying themselves so he said on the way home it was quite late we we decided to drive up bempton lane which is the ironically it's the lane out of bridlington to bempton 
and then on to Short Lane, which takes you to Bempton. He said, and as we're driving along Short Lane, we get about halfway along. He said, something just whizzed past the car. He said, literally just went straight across the road in front of the car. And he said, and we all went like, wow, probably a few expletives, but you know, what was that? And he said, we sort of slowed down, he says, and then this thing started descending above the car or in, above and in front and descending onto the road. He said, and it, it, it looked blue and gold with like revol revol turning revolving panels as wide as the road this object, he says, and we were, we were absolutely, we, we just couldn't believe what we're looking at. And it's landing in front of them. He said, and just before it, or they assume, well, oh, this guy does, I've only spoke to the one, just before it touched the road, it's gone. He said, as fast as you can imagine, it's gone. I mean, when he first said this thing went in front of the car, he said it went past like a wasp. Do you know what I mean? He, uh, so he said, and it had gone. I said, what did you do? He says, we just floored the car and went. So that's, that's one UFO sighting. Then, this is interesting, in the archives that I've searched, going through the old local papers, short lane once again, 2006 once again. Can't tie it to that UFO sighting because this guy couldn't remember a date. He gave me a year because he knew it was the first car that he ever had. So we knew we'd got the 2006. Uh, you know, it was the first car he owned, but I haven't got a month. If I were going to edge my bets, I'd say I bet it was time when this happened. So we found in the archives, roe deer carcasses found two on Short Lane. Uh, suspected poaching. However, the meat had been pared off the bone in a very unusual manner and no meat had been taken. Now, I mean, that's our kind of defeating object of poaching. And that's on Short Lane. Then up Walgate, which would probably be a mile away, Roe deer carcasses found. Meat paired off the bone in an unusual manner, once again. Then on the cliff tops, we've got roe deer carcasses found. Meat paired off the bone. I don't know what that means, because obviously I weren't researching these, these cases at the time. And I still might not have if they had cropped up today. Nobody's forced to invite me to look. You know, I, I, I would have thought this will have been the RSPB, uh, RS. PCA that came, you know, came to look at these carcasses and maybe vets. But it's interesting the terminology that they use, meat paired off the bone in an unusual manner and no meat taken. You know, and they're just left at the side of the road, uh, Craig. But I mean, we've just devoted 10 minutes to short lane. But uh, it's, oh, it's, it's fine, Paul. I mean, just, just going back to what you were talking about, big cats, there's, the, you know, you, you sort of mentioned about um, why, are they, why are there a lot of sightings at this time of the year. Do you think it could possibly be something to do with a couple of things? One is obviously, you know, the country has been in lockdown over the last 12 months. Um, and so people are not going about their normal business as they would have done normally. So there's less traffic on the road. There's less people out and about. And secondly, um, could this be the time of the year, springtime, where these animals are having kits, kittens? Um, and they're obviously becoming more visible because, in effect, they're out yeah. hunting. Uh, and that combination of those two things this year may well be the reason why we've seen so many big cats over the last 12 months, as opposed yeah. to, to previous years, because it's almost like a perfect storm. Do you, what, what would you think about that hypothesis? I, I, think, I think you're probably right with your, with your second uh, thoughts on this. Where, you know, this, this is the time of year where uh, 
predominantly they're probably going to be looking for mates. If let's assume that there's only one in the area and it's got its localized area, and we know they travel vast distances, but this might be the time of year where they're out searching for a, a partner, should we say? Uh, the, as regards the first part, when when we're saying is it because of COVID, it does it, to me for my area. I can only speak for this area, Eastern North Yorkshire. I would say no, because this is the month or these months, the early months after after Christmas are the, are the times that they've been seen for decade after decade. So I don't think COVID's got any bearing on that, but I take on board fully what you say about are they, are they looking for potential mates? Are they actually breeding? Is that why they're out? And the more active, spot on, Craig, because they've got to provide more food, so they've got to be seen in daytime. So you, you make a good point. And it's difficult isn't it it really is because sometimes the places they're being seen you don't really think that there's going to be that such a sustain sustainable amount of food and we've got such natural livestock as in sheep which would be easy prey that aren't being predated upon uh, but there again probably i'm talking absolute rubbish here because i'm underestimating the the, the prowess of a big cat in its prime because it, it probably wouldn't think to its twice about, th I'll just tackle a deer. Why, why would I want to go through all that wool and fleece? Because I have been told that they don't actually like sort of eating sheep because, because of all the, the wool and the, the fleece. Having said that, they'd probably go for e uh, sort of easiest point of origin sort of thing, you know, the, the, the underside of it. But uh, it is interesting, and bearing in mind 2017, 18, early into 19, a vast, a, a lot of sheep were being killed up on the around Bempton and East Yorkshire in unusual circumstances. And I personally don't believe a cat were responsible. I was only person researching it. The police were involved, and they'd done all night vigils, but they'd found nothing, and they they took sort of night vision equipment out with them, and they they'd drawn a blank. I detected who the farmer and the, the you know the main people that were losing the livestock. Went and spoke to them. Nothing about unexplained phenomena. I wanted to look into what were happening. I did suspect something strange was happening, but I I look. I think we all have to do this, even though we say, "Oh, what do you do? You write books about the unexplained. You look into unexplained phenomena." We've got to rule out the explainable first, and then it becomes interesting. And I'll remind me about the paw print later and if we get to that. And I went onto these fields and I think when I got to this farmer, he'd lost probably 28 sheep. Uh, I say probably because it could have been 30. Now, when we'd done, when they were removed, there were over 50 gone. And I, I was on those fields, particularly in 20, through 2018, at like half past four, five in the morning, and I could not ever get close to what was doing it. And what I, and why were I going at that time? Because I could have found them at nine o'clock, I could have found them at 10, but then you've got the people saying, well, badgers have been on them and foxes have been predating on them and the eyes have gone because crows have took the eyes and rooks. But so I wanted to go while it was still dark, just getting light. And I was finding these carcasses with their ears removed and, and literally cut off, not bit off. I know I'm sorry for sounding graphic, people, if this sounds terrible. Eyes removed. And then the, 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 obviously the side of the face that's, that's 
on the earth, if, if, if we've got the eye that's exposed removed, people can say, well, a bird's probably been that crow or something. Lift the head up, that eye's gone. No trauma to the eyes, tongue's removed. Now, if those carcasses were left, Craig, for a day, two days, obviously then natural scavengers or predators are going to predate on them, and that's what was happening. So nobody got a clear picture of what was happening until we started looking in detail. I found one about four weeks ago, which you might want to talk about in a, in a while, but um, yeah, it was interesting. I mean, do we take this into the paranormal realms? Something was happening because I found out in conjunction with the sheep being killed, because I were, I were exploring woodland very close to these, these areas, I was finding roe deer. Same thing, faces stripped, not ears removed, but half of the liver cut out. I've got all the images, and, and you know, and, and in fact, the, the images, we've put them in black and white, and they're in Truth Proof 3, bringing down the light that we've put that we've put some images in there of these, these, and unfortunately, very close to the cliff tops and not far away from where these animal, these unfortunate animals were, we've got harbour porpoise, the little dolphins you know, the little sort of mammals about four foot long. Rock anglers were finding them with huge holes through their jaws, which we've got images of. They were the rock anglers that were kind enough to, Andy Barnby, I've got to thank for getting me some good images of those. So was it the same phenomena that was killing them? There were no other signs of trauma on these porpoises, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, bodies. Most of the time with the sheep, all the faces were stripped. But, but the cheeks, you know, where, where the meat you would think a predator would be eating, they were still intact. Uh, if the tongues were removed, there's no trauma to the mouth. Uh, you know, you know, you, you could go on and on and it gets it gets a bit macabre. And I don't know how far you want me to go, but I spent a lot. Of, I spent 18 months with this particular farmer and I got to know the sheep. They even knew me. You know, when I first went on to field, it well, you know, because they were like at one point four hundred on. It was like a well, just a herd, a flock, just running because they didn't know who I was. By the time I'd done, I just walked amongst them. They, they were they were very comfortable with me, and I got to know the mannerisms and and what they were about. They knew my little dog. But what am I getting at here? Um, when I first went to speak to him, I, I keep a, a notebook. And I, I had I had notes to it, and I, I think it was it, I could have got this wrong. So if somebody reads book and they say he's got that date wrong, I haven't got it in front of me. But I think it was July twenty eighth. I'd got a note, an entry in my book, and I was speaking to him. And I said, "When did you first realise something was wrong?" He said, "Well, he said you you lose two or three sheep a year." He says, "You know they might. I don't know if anybody knows this, but if a sheep falls down or goes over, it can't right itself. You maybe already know this, people, but it can't." It lays on its back until either farmer finds it or, or it dies, you know. So he said, so you, you expect sort of a, a few natural deaths, he says, but then it, it just became really strange. He said, I had a, a sheep run which held six sheep nose to tail and there'd be some solution in it that they ran through to treat the feet. And this was in these fields. We've got a picture of that in the book as well, which is no great shakes, but it's, I'm, I only say this to back up what I'm saying. So... He said they hated it. He said people say sheep are stupid. He says, but they knew and they hated it. This solution stung their feet. He said, so I'd got two dogs and we'd work them into like a V into a, to, to get them into this run and then and corral them off and we'd run them through it. 
He said, it were hard work, even with two dogs getting a minute. So he said, he said, this particular morning, he said, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of going to look at my sheep, check everything's okay. The run's already set up. He said, and I can't believe what I'm looking at. He said, there's 30 sheep, not 28, not 31, 30 sheep in this six sheep, nose to tail, you know, the corrugated panels. He says, and they're on top of one another. They're hanging over sides. They're just, they're just chopped. He says, the other side of the corralled area, the sheep in it, and, and they're all agitated. He says, and I just can't believe what I'm looking at. And the, there's like steel pins holding these panels in. He says, so obviously I go straight over, pull the pins out, release the panels. I think he said there was three dead. Might have been two people. I think, you know, it's ages since my head's spinning with information, to be honest with you. And I think he said there was three dead. Not dead from being attacked, dead from heat exhaustion, dead from trauma of being underneath other sheep. He said it was just incredible. He said, and I said to him, uh, and what date was this then? I'm careful not to say this guy's name. So what date was this then? And he's, uh, it's, it's July 28th. So luckily I'd got my book in my hand because these things, I've said it before, come back to bite people if you're actually lying or embellishing it. And he might listen to this one day. And, he, you know, even though he don't want to be known, he's packed in with sheep because of this, he might reach out and say, this guy's lying. So, so I opened my book, basically. That's what I'm saying, people. I opened my book, went through it. I said, July 28th, deer carcass found, short lane, sorry, sorry, uh, Bempton Lane, uh, going down to Nature Reserve, which is quite close to where this lot were happening, three-inch hole inside, July 28th. So we've got the same day that this guy, Peter, who found the deer carcass, and within a short distance away, we've got these 30 sheep in this enclosure. We know we've not got anything to link A to B. We know we've got nothing to say it's unexplained phenomena. I mean, this guy with the deer carcass, he said, he said his analogy was, he said, have you seen the hole they drilled through for a gas flue pipe, a three-inch round hole? He said it just looked like that had gone straight through its side. So we've got this deer carcass found by Peter, and then we've got a short distance away, not too far away, we've got these 30 sheep found in, in, in a jumbled mess in this sheep run. If I, if I were a betting man, I'd say that that's connected. Obviously, I have no proof. That, that is the difficulty. I mean, the, the subtitle of the first book was The Truth That Leaves No Proof. And, and that's basically, Craig, what we are dealing with. We know it's the truth. Anybody listening to this podcast who's had an experience, be, be poltergeist, ghost, UFO, cryptid, they know that there's a truth attached to it. But unfortunately, that truth is the only place that that truth exists is in your mind. And, and until we get some kind of machine that can sort of tap into your brain and project it on a wall so that we can prove what these people have seen, it's, we're not going to get any closer. I did note that there's some... In America, I think there's going to be some files released uh, purporting to, to talk about unexplained phenomena. Well, that would be good. That was a move in the right direction. And we've moved away from sheep, but I don't mind. So just anything else, Craig, on, while, while we're on with these? Or Yeah, um, you mentioned the uh, footprint, which yeah. um, I saw on your Facebook page, which I thought was really interesting. Could you tell us a little bit more about what you've been uh, doing with that, please, Paul? Yeah, well... Well, say six weeks ago, so three guys, well, one guy in particular, three guys walking along 
the cliff tops and they came across a sheep carcass. This will take us to footprint. They came across a sheep carcass that had recently been killed, probably that day looking at it. And I knew exactly where it was, they sent me images. And the next morning I contacted the farmer, asked if I could park up early doors and I went up and took photographs. There were unusual puncture wounds in, in, in the sides of this sheep, obviously on the, on the skin when it were peeled back, not the, the wool, because you wouldn't have seen them. So that, that were interesting that something with big canines had predated on it. All the meat had gone. God, people, you must think I'm terrible. <laughs> Just, I'm sorry, but we've dwelled on sheep quite a bit. But what I'm saying is, there were two, to me, there were two elements happening. It had been predated on by either natural predators or something with big canines. But however, I think it was the right ear had gone down, down looked like it had been paired off. Both eyes had gone and the tongue had been removed and there were no trauma to the face. So, so that were an interesting aspect of it because nothing had actually gone to touch the face. So we, in the meantime, I'd got this thermal camera, which we'd filmed the big cat and the still images from it, which we'd put out. And then a friend of mine, Bob Brown, one of his friends, another guy called Bob, ironically, had been walking up at Speeton and he'd found some, uh, he'd, he'd found a, a fox carcass. So I went and, and viewed the fox carcass. I'm doing this so slightly back to front and this thing, had absolutely been mangled and ripped to bits, but I don't know how much importance to place on, on that as regards what's happening. It could be just have been shot and then animals have predated on it. But that prompted me and Bob Brown then to walk the area a little bit. Now, Speeton, for anybody that's not familiar with it, the cliffs there are 420 feet sheer drop and, and they run along to Bempton and then to Buckton and then to Bempton. But they don't start like that. They, they're pretty steep. They go down to, to this 420 foot, this sort of gradient down to the beach and you can walk down. And the clay is very, very, very firm there, very compact. And I don't know whether it's still to be found on internet, but there used to be a site called the Friends of Speeton Clay because they'd find fossils in Speeton Clay that could not be found anywhere else. Uh, I don't mean they were unusual, but they're unusual for the area, for the geology of the Eastern North Yorkshire, should we say. So we're walking along and I'm sort of viewing it, the ground and you're looking at this, it's all sort of good compact clay. It's been raining and it's not loads of puddles, but it's wet. <clears throat> and I can see deer tracks, I can see badger, fox, dog. And then I see these weird prints, very big. I'm looking at these things and I took pictures of them and I put them on social media, some of the pictures the same day. And I don't know, people were of the opinion it was a big cat, and so was I. Uh, I'm not going to deny that. They, they were big pads splayed apart, because the dog's two, two middle front toes, should we say, are usually close together, and these are all splayed apart with big pads, and it puts it into perspective if, if you see the cast. So the next day, I got some plaster of Paris, and we were off there again. Poor old Bob, bless him, he's 74 years old, and we went down what's called Killer Hill. Now, it's called Killer Hill. I thought there was some mystical importance to Killer Hill, and it's not. It's just that the Bempton local, sorry, the Speeton locals say it's a bloody killer walking back up it. So, so, so there you go. So, we, so he's got two days on trot running, walking down Killer Hill, and he said running. We set a little frame up and I cast these prints. 
left them for it were, it were a bit wet so we left them for an hour so because i didn't want to crack them as i pulled them out and we'd take them home and i cleaned them all off and they revealed the tips of claws or yeah claws which is uncharacteristic to a cat which usually walks with its claws retracted although i do have friends who are gamekeepers who've said that it's not unusual for a cat to sort of stand and flex its claws. He says, let's face it, how many times have you ever had a cat sat on your knee and you just feel it, just these claws just come out and flex. So my friend, Jeff, the gamekeeper, he's still of the opinion this is a cat. So, so, and and, uh, and I sort of kind of trust his word. I'm not saying he's right, but his his sort of, his world, his, his knowledge is good. But that weren't good enough for me. So I contacted a few zoos. The first three that I contacted didn't want to know. They weren't disrespectful or anything, but they didn't want to know. Uh, I'm wondering if part of the reason, and Jeff suggested this as well, is if they had to come back with it's a big cat, do they have a duty of care to investigate that? You know, because I don't know whether they do or they don't, but they'd have to inform authorities and things. And I'm not saying that anybody's been deliberately deceitful either. I just don't know. But they, they didn't want to look at them. But uh, the, the cat sanctuary, I think it's in Ashford, kindly said, yes, yeah, send the images of the cast and we'll have a look. So I obviously sent them the Im Im images of this uh, plaster cast with a fist, clenched fist at the side of it. Now, let me just say that the cast, the, the paws are probably bigger than the clenched fist. Uh, I've not measured them, but they probably are bigger than the clenched fist. And... They came back about two hours later and they said, we don't think it's a big cat. We do think it's, a, in their words, a massive canine. So a massive dog. And uh, so I thanked them. And, you know, I mean, I could have, I realised that some UFO researchers, paranormal researchers would have omitted that because they want the mystery of it being a big cat. Well, I'm all about getting to the truth. And these people, to me, they're working with big cats. They're working with is that it's not a big cat, then I'm willing to respect that opinion and let's put it out there. Not everything's a mystery. But what is interesting, I've got a friend, Peter, who I've spoken to tonight, who's part of the, I've got to say this right, I think it's the Chickahominy tribe in the Burns Valley in Oregon. And he lives in the UK. He lives. He actually lives in Bridlington. And he's seen the prints and he said, I'm going to send them to some tribal elders, see what they think. And literally, probably 30 minutes before coming on here, Craig, he, he called me up. He said, you'll never guess what they think this, these are. And he said, they, well, they don't think they are. They are absolutely 100% certain. He said, huge wolf, which is interesting, isn't it? You know, and I, 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 what I haven't got is what kind of weight they think this animal would be. Because I said, can you get back to them and find out, you know, what weight that they think this animal would be? Because this is firm clay. It's not, you know, like people say that prints get distorted because they've been in snow and then snow just melts away and it makes the print look bigger or the clay, the, the sludge could push out. This is really firm. Uh, it's almost like modeling clay. So huge wolf. So, we, you know, the, the, the sort of plot thickens. It was only like six months ago that a guy, I spoke to him extensively from Scarborough, was traveling over the North Yorkshire Moors to work on a motorbike. And he claims that he saw two huge wolves sat at the side of the road near just past a pub called The Flask. 
if anybody wants to Google the geography of this area, you'll see that it's nothing but moors and forest. This pub's in the middle of nowhere. But where it becomes interesting, and he's, he's, he's going to go and film for us, it's COVID that's restricted this. He's quite happy. He says, I know what I saw. Why should I be embarrassed about saying it? He says, it were two, there were two wolves. It were in about half past five, six in the morning. I think that was the time. He said, but what shocked me, now get this, people, is they were smiling at him. The satellite dogs, for all intents and purposes, the dogs, and then he comes out with, they were smiling at me. I don't, I don't ask me people how that works, but it's, it's strange because we, we don't have any uh, natural breeding pairs of wolves, as far as I'm aware, here in the UK. I don't know whether they've introduced them to, up into the, the highlands. I'm not sure. I know they were talk about... Uh, uh, Re, what there's a word for it, rehabituating. Uh, yeah, I think even talked about bears at one time, but yes. Uh, yes. as far as I'm aware, we don't have any wolves now. We've got two wolves, Craig, sat at the side of the road as he approaches on a motorbike. Now, the North Yorkshire Moors National Park is 522 miles of forest and farmland and pockets of open grazing. So there's a lot of area there for something to disappear. But I still believe if you'd got a pack of, not pack, let's just correct ourselves. If, I still believe if you'd got two wolves active in that area, we would be seeing some devastation on wildlife. And I do think that farming communities would be aware then that their flocks of sheep had been attacked and predated upon. So, but that doesn't mean that this guy's lying. I, I believe he's seen what he's seen. I've spoke to him several times. Don't believe everybody, people. But uh, you know, I, I, I fail to see what people have got to lie about when they're coming out with things like this. And then they add that extra element, that bit of woo. They were smiling at. It's interesting you mentioned that smile actually, Paul. Because the first thing that I thought of, I mean, obviously there's a there's a cryptid phenomenon which people call a dogman. Um, and I, I don't know whether I'm getting mixed up with your area or another area, but wasn't there a sighting by some by by two people that were out in the woods up on the northeast coast somewhere who thought they saw something that resembled a, a dog, but it was on two legs going through the going through the woods? That that's correct. I mean, it, it could be one of mine. It might be somebody else's that you've you've been told about. You know, but uh, we're we're doing a documentary at the moment called Wolflands. I'm doing it. In, uh, in conjunction with Les Drake of Digital Creations. And this has involved, it's been a massive project. It's involved sleeping in these forests during the, uh, during the night with the gamekeepers, excuse me, with, in, in one instance with the witnesses who claimed that they saw what they can only describe as a werewolf in 2018. And we've... I mean, that, that sighting is just incredible. And I've got nothing but admiration for these people because they've gone on camera and they're saying it, uh, you know, and they don't know each other. That's, what, that's another important thing to add. That these guys are from Rotherham, the gamekeepers, no connection to them. His sighting was in 2002. These lads were 2018. We've got Jamie and Lee, which a lady and her, and her friend who, who claimed to have seen this thing on the, I think it was the 29th of January, 2019 on the clifftops of East Yorkshire, we've got the paratrooper, and I think the date was February the, the 7th, uh, 2019, and Jamie's was 2020, I'd correct myself. So less than a year later. And, you know, 
So we've got to ask ourselves, I mean, you, people can sort of roll their eyes and go, what a load of rubbish, these things don't exist. Well, people are seeing them. Or, or they're actually seeing something. I, I, I don't profess to have the answers, uh, but I'm, if I've got somebody who seems sincere telling me a story and we're getting some kind of repetitive story from different people coming through time and time again over a lot of years, we have to attach some kind of truth to it. Yeah, it was the paratrooper one that, that came to mind. Yeah, well, <clears throat> what, a, what a great guy. I mean, and I, I, I wouldn't say I've spoke to him at length. I've spoke to him many, many times. And they were up there, I, I think we just said February 7th, 2019. They'd come to see the Peregrines in full flight, the rabid sort of outdoorsmen and things, and they travelled from Liverpool. They arrived at the RSPB, the bird sanctuary. Obviously, it's not open at that hour, but there's a big car park, and they parked up there they'd got two dogs with them and the the in the early hours of the morning he's not sure what time but they decided to have a walk along the cliff tops they were going to get their first light to look at the peregrines anyway but they decided they were going to have a walk along the cliff tops he says it was freezing he says ice on grass bristling but he said everything felt wrong this is another thing i find interesting it felt off he said the air's on the back of my neck, my arms were stood up. He said, it just felt electric. He said, I don't know why. And this guy's keen to point out he's done tours in Iraq. He's done bogside in Northern Ireland. And what he saw, he said, didn't compare. The fear of what he saw is, is off the scale of what he experienced in them places. And, and he's allowed us to record him as well, so which is good. So he said, we, we walked down and he's describing the place. He, he's, he's, the friend with him had been before, but he'd never been. But he's describing it. He says, we walked down the path and we took a right. He said, and, uh, uh, you know, he says, and there's a fence running along that's dividing the cliff tops. He says, and even the dogs clung to us. He says, normally, he says, they're not go they'll not go far, but normally they're just having a little wonder about. He said, and we put a light on and we lit a big pair of yellow eyes up. He said, like golf balls. He says, they were huge. And we both went, what the swear word? He says, what are them? He said, we don't know. He said, but this thing didn't act like a normal animal. He kind of looked at us and then just looked away. But we could only see the eyes, but we could tell it was just a lazy, it just moved its head away. Where's a rabbit caught in headlights? They just sit there frozen, don't they? But said, didn't know what they were, big yellow eyes. He said, so they'd gone. He says, and we carried on walking. He said, it felt off. It felt very strange. He says, and then we, we came to a, a like a big timber platform. Well, these are the viewing platforms because it's a bird sanctuary and we've got one of the biggest gannet colonies in, in Britain that visit Bempton and Flamborough Cliffs, you know, during the breeding season. So we've got viewing platforms for bird spotters. So he said, and we stood up, we went on to there and we had a look and we then we spun the torch around and we lit them up again. Can't work out what we're looking at. He says, and all the time, he says, we realise it feels weird. It just feels off. But we obviously we'd not associated these eyes with the off feeling. He says, and then we carried on walking and we came to two huge gate posts. Now I knew exactly what, where he was. I mean, we've actually named them now Wolfgate, or Steve Ashbridge has. So he said, they're not gateposts, it used to be a style. And, but obviously style's gone and we've got these two nine by nine posts still set into the ground. He says, and we would just walk through them. He says, and we just put the torch on to our right on, up along the fields. He says, and it were there. He says, I thought it was an, uh, um, you can imagine words I'm saying, because there's a lot of swear words. He says, I thought it were an hyena at first. He says, and it were hunkered down, his exact words. He says, all its fur were bristling up. And we played this recording at the awakening 
uh, conference, myself and Chris Turner. He said, he says its fur was stood up around its neck. He said, and like a hump on its back. He said it was just absolutely hideous. Great big head full of teeth that all looked canine. And he said, and then it stood up. And then he's, this is where he became emotional and agitated. He stood on two legs. He said, and it took a step towards us. He says, it's about 25 foot away. He says, the dogs were absolutely crapping themselves. And he said, we just don't know what, he said, we just didn't know what we were looking at. He said, it had long arms that were exceptionally long. I asked if it had clavicles, as in human type, type uh, collarbone and, you know, or did it have sort of the physical structure of a dog when it stood up? I can't imagine that. It's probably be probably just hung to it at its sides like a bit like a meerkat. But he said, no, it had it had shoulders, wide, bony shoulders and a big rib cage. So, but the unusual thing, it had one hand under its chest and its forefinger was beckoning him, but not towards him. It was to the side as though there were another one there. He said, and I couldn't take my, my eyes off it, this, this finger. He said, but in end, he said, because my friend who were with me, who no longer talks to him because of this. Uh, it's, it's just, he said, I had to just knock him because he was just froze. He says, and we slowly backed away. Yeah, and I, I think, I know where they were and I know distance back. They'd probably got three quarters of a mile to walk. He said, and I couldn't walk very far because he, he's, had a real, he's had a proper debilitating illness and he was just recovering from it at the time. He says, and I could only walk for about, I don't know, 20 metres without having to stop for a breath. I think that's what he said to me, 20 metres. He said, and all the way back, we're terrified. We didn't wait for no Peregrine Falcon and, and Daybreak. We got in our vehicle and we left. So that's their sighting. And then you come less than a year later and you've got Jamie and Lee, two miles down the coast at Flamborough. They had a holiday cottage and they got there quite late, but they wanted to make most of their weekend, you know, break, whatever they were sightseeing and what have you. And they decided to walk from the holiday cottage down to North Landing. And they'd never been before. And if anybody's watched the trailer for Wolfland, the lady who's on it, that's her. And she said, we walked up to the point where you go down into a, like a big ravine. And it is a ravine. It's called Holmes's Gut. And it's not that deep. It's probably about 80 foot deep with earth steps put into it. Then we're looking out to sea and we're looking at this leg of rock, as she called it. They call them nabs in East Yorkshire. It's a nab. They're probably called nabs everywhere. But uh, she said... Actually called nabs in Lancashire as well, Paul. Yeah, yeah. She said, so we walked down into the ravine and there's a little stream running and we stood on this bridge. So then we could hear geese flying over. So then all of a sudden it went quiet, which is the classic, so much, it's weird, they're enveloped in this eerie silence. And I believe there's, I believe this is a key to it. I, I don't, I don't know. I think more people need to focus on, on the silence, on the, the altered environment, because there's, there's answers to be found there. Uh, and a lot of researchers maybe should get together and start knocking these ideas about. I haven't got the answers, but, you know, between myself and other people, we might we might get a little bit closer. Your idea might tie in with something I'm thinking about. I just might not have the right ingredient to go with it. But she said it felt strange. She said, and I said to Lee, come on, let's get out of here. This is weird. And they walked back up onto the top again. She said, and we're looking out to sea. And then we're looking at this leg of rock, as she calls it. She said, and uh, we noticed this, this 
thing sat on end. And it's it's sat there. And we, we both said, what is that? Because we've been all we've been at the top earlier and we don't remember seeing it. Is it a concrete statue? Uh it's not, it looks like a dog, the back of a dog. And it's sat up and least I spoke to them both. Jamie's gone on camera, but we myself and Bob Brown met them the next morning and I spoke to Lee at length. He said, I'm six foot tall. He said, I think it was as tall as me sat up. So he sat, he said, we're just looking at it and count. We're, we're sort of questioning why, why we never saw it earlier. So there's a bit of moon, so it's silhouetted. And she, she said, it, have you ever, she, her analogy was, have you ever seen Starlight Express when they're skating round and they've got these like extended arms? She said, it's, and I hadn't, but she said, it's arms look too long. It's from at limbs. And she called them arms. She says, and we just can't work it out, she says. And then Lee heard a strange growl. She said, which I didn't hear. She said, and then with that, this thing moved and it sort of went down and slinked along the other side of the nab. Now, anybody, if you picture it top of your head, people, and this thing was sat on the top, the, the crown, and obviously it tapers down at the sides, they could just see the back of it. She said, it moved like a cat. We could actually see it moving like a cat. And we got very frightened and we, we walked down from, from there and we just went home. And then she, she they, they were searching for a few answers, found my name and contacted me. And we actually met them the next morning quite early. And uh, she's been kind enough to revisit and go on film and talk about what she saw. So that's just another witness to Wolfland who's got no connection to any of the other people. And I just find it, enthralling because as I think I said to you Craig the cryptids are not something that I was I never thought I'd be interested in when I wrote the first book uh, a story came in about the Flixton werewolf and somebody had seen something unusual at Flixton and I think Flixton after doing lots of research Craig is probably he's probably got the oldest account of a werewolf in in uh, certainly in Great Britain you know I mean we're talking about uh, I think it was 937 King Athelstan built he he charged a knight called Acehorn and all this is there it's not it's all there in old literature to look up uh with building a refuge to protect travelers as in, in his words from an infestation of savage beasts lest they be devoured it says from wolves and other savage beasts then abounding at the time and you think to yourself well what other it doesn't mean it's werewolves obviously but what other savage beasts did we have besides wolves Bears had gone probably 1,500 to 2,000 years prior, you know? So what had we got that, that, that this guy's sort of referring to? I don't know. And then we've got stories now. I have stories from the 1940s, 50s, 60s, through to present day of this upright canine-type creature seen at Flixton and the surrounding areas. Flixton... People, if you want to Google it, I'm in Bridlington. It's 12 miles as the crow flies from Bridlington. It's just a tiny village on in, in North Yorkshire. Interestingly, the writings also say in this, a, a portion of land will forever be known as Wolfland in Flixton. So Athelstan, the actual king, wrote that, you know, or, or some described it for him, that a portion of land would be forever known as Wolfland. Hence, we've got the documentary we're calling it Wolfland. Interestingly, Two miles towards the sea, two miles east of Flixton, there's another village called Hunnamby. You break the name down and it's Hund. Hund meaning hound. So it's Hund man 
B, meaning farmstead of the hound man. But, uh, you know, it's not called Butterfly Meadow because there's butterflies. You know, so it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I, I just I find these things absolutely fascinating. So am I interested in the cryptids now? Yes, because I've got people and this is the main thing we've all got to focus on when people say what a load of rubbish. We've got witnesses from all walks of life unconnected to one another claiming they've seen the same things. So I find that fascinating. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. And, and you know, the good thing about your research, Paul, is, is that you do back it up with people's first hand accounts. Um, you know, you're not you're not in the habit of making stuff up. You talk you talk to these people, you get the statements off them, and and that's the way that you do things. I think that comes across really well in your books. Comes across, you know, really really well in all the work that you do. In most instances, Craig, uh, obviously, people involved in unexplained phenomena will realise that we don't have actually any physical proof of what I'm talking about. But in most instances, I, I push to try and record the person. I go to great lengths to, to, to I want a I want them on film in front of a camera if I can. Uh, if if they won't do that, I'll I'll get them on film in front of a camera and distort their image. I'll distort their voice if that's what they require. There's an incredible account from a place called Foxholes, which is just a couple of mile out of Flixton. Uh, in in the third book, we've called it the Car Chaser. This guy's travelling home. Uh, he's been to visit his parents in Scarborough. He's in a Jaguar car. I don't think we'll call the time half past nine at night. It's, I can't remember exact month. I think it's November. There's moon, it's been raining. And he's driving along, absolutely nothing. It's a black night. There's no street lights in these places. You're just in the middle of nowhere. And it be, just becomes, his peripheral. He realises there's something there as he's driving. And he, he just looks and he's in his window, not the passenger window, there's a huge dog running at the side of his car on all fours. He said its head, I asked, I asked for comparisons. I said, if we're comparing its head to the size of a mastiff or a bear, what we're looking at, he said its head filled the window. He could see the hump of its back as though it had gotten almost like a mane. These things come back to you as you're talking, you know, because I forgot that little element, almost like a mane. And he said it had, it was looking at him. That's what he couldn't understand. He's traveling at 45, 50 miles per hour. And this thing's traveling at the side of the car, but looking into the car, you know, it, no glowing red eyes, no glowing yellow eyes. But this thing's look, he said it had fangs the size of his thumbs. He could see them down. So he's terrified. He said he started to speed up. He said he lost it at about 60 mile an hour and still could still see it in his mirror. Now, this is what I'm, I'm getting to. Uh, we, I want him on film if possible. It took me ages to even get to speak to this man because I'd been told about him by three people who are friends of his, and what he saw goes against the grain of everything that he believes is possible. It really does clash with what he believes. And it not only did terrified him, it, it's, it's not messed his head up, but it's just, it's, obviously, it's a lot to take on when you've seen something. You know, because I said to him, well, what did you think it were? And then he swore, and he said, I think it were a werewolf. You know, and that's what he thought he'd seen. But he obviously, he's, he's probably the same as 99.9% of population who think these things only exist on horror films. So what I'm getting at, uh, I emailed him literally, well, on Sunday, because I, I'm pushing to try and get the voice recording of him going through the story. 
and I won't, you know, no name, I'll not use his name. I'll even try and distort the voice. So we, in fact, in, in essence, we could get somebody else to do it, but I want the person. And then I've got a friend, Steve Ashbridge, who's got a nice X-Type Jaguar. And we're going to set a camera up in back at Jag and we're going to film Steve driving into through foxholes and overlay the voice and just slowly go through the procedure. We, we, we can't provide proof of the werewolf. We can't provide the actual witness, but we'll get as close as we can. If, if you know, in, in that instance, and, and if that's the only way to do it, that's how I will do it. Uh, we've been very fortunate with Wolflands to get the actual pictures of the cameras. So brave. You know, the, the Rotherham guys, as we've called them, they visited us straight from work on two occasions in the forest to, to go through what they'd seen, just to tell us. And then they've spent nights in forest and it's, it, it was a traumatic experience for both of them, but so traumatic for one of them that, he, you know, when he first told me about the story, he were in tears. And when he came out of the forest after that, he felt like he'd conquered a, a mountain. He felt like he'd climbed a mountain by actually facing his, we'll call it his demon, you know, but... Uh, uh, fabulous. I mean, you know, I can talk about, I don't mean talk about anything, but I'll talk about the UFO phenomena. We'll talk about the, the, the alien type stuff a little bit with poltergeist, but the cryptids, it's really sort of got my, uh, I don't my attention. It's got your juices flowing, hasn't it, Paul? <laughs> it really has. Yeah. Yeah. Can we, can we go on to um, talk about some UFO stuff then? Because, um, you know, I know you've got some really interesting UFO stuff as well. Um, you sent me an email, obviously, with a few things to talk about. You mentioned a sighting from November 2018, some missing time. Uh, Rick and PJ? Rick and PJ, yeah, I can, I can tell you about that one. Um, we, there's, there's usually Rick, PJ and Craig, and they travel a good distance. It's, I think it's about four hours to get to Bempton. They're interested in unexplained phenomena. The they don't actually live close to each other. One picks another one up on way and they come in this BMW estate and they bring provisions with them and they don't actually sleep, but everything works from there. They arrive late. And um, Rick and PJ, on this occasion, they were on clifftops and myself and Bob Brown went, went to meet them. Just to be fair, really, I mean, we've only got a 15-minute journey from where we live. And they've come a long way. So, uh, so, you know, they told us they were there. So we went and spent it was a miserable, horrible night. And after we'd left them, they went back to their car, probably 11 o'clock, had, had a bit of warm, something warm to drink and a bite to eat. And no, it were later than 11. It were after 11 because this story, there's been two incidents with Rick and PJ and this story's just come into me because I thought it was the first one you were on, the second one you were on about. But at one point in night, I think it was, Rick got out for a wee. And as he's looking out to sea, because you can, you, you can see all the full coast, you can see something over the sea. And he said, he said to PJ, come and look at this. This is unusual. You need to see this. He said, and there's, there's lights spinning and they're almost like not far out, estimates a mile out. And I think there were golds and blues and, and it looked like a carousel turning over the sea. We're not talking high in the sky. And they're watching this thing, but what, what was interesting, they thought that they were watching it for the, well, probably three quarters of an hour. But it turns out, because one of them put record on, that they were watching it till morning. They'd been watching it. They, 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 somehow they've not been watching it till morning, but they've, they've, they've sort of lost four hours of time. 
and they, they, they don't even, they, obviously, I won't say obviously, but people can't account for what's happened in that space of time. They've no knowledge of this thing coming closer to them. They've no knowledge of anything else. But they, there's, there's a huge gap in where they're suddenly still observing this object and it's somewhat like 6 a.m. And they, was, they started watching it probably after midnight. The, I, I, I haven't got the times, Craig, in front of me. I will be honest, because I put a question in about Rick and PJ, and I must have left that in notes as well, because the one I'm talking about, I think, is from 2018, where they arrived again, and this time there was Rick, PJ and Craig. And once again, me and Bob went and spent a couple of hours with them, and we, we, I think we left about half past nine. You know, people have to understand that you know we, we probably go four or five times a week. So to go on a Saturday night, to spend all night up there on a Saturday, it's, it's a bit of a bind, you know, you have a life as well. But these guys, they've travelled so far and they are nice blokes, we didn't mind. So we had a couple of hours with them. They said, right, well, we're going to go now. We're going to Caton, sorry, to Filey Brig, and we're going to get in a different, see, see the area from a different place. We're going to look at further up towards Scarborough and back down towards Bempton. And then we're coming back in between 12 and 1 a.m. And we're going to spend rest at night observing at Bempton. So it's fair enough. So we'll walk up with you. That's what I'm getting at. So we proceeded to walk up along the cliff tops, take a left and head up towards the RSPB car park. We're only about, I don't know, 50, 200 yards away from the car park. We're on this, this path and there's fields to the right and the old RAF base. And then you've got the visitor centre in, in view. And from nowhere, a monstrous flash of like like electric just sprung up from the ground and it was blood red and absolute vivid red and it looked it did look like electric i mean we know what an electrical light looks like anybody's seen lightning you know that that's some kind of electrical light i suppose all lights electric i'm sorry for sounding stupid here people but it's a, it, it's different to a torch light let's put it that way so and we, we, we're just stopping his tracks. PJ is giant. I mean, only about six foot five. He was the only one that didn't see it. So there's Bob, myself, Rick and Craig. We, we're all just, Christ, what the hell was that? That was incredible. And if you picture a child painting a kite, you know, the little triangle, elongated triangle, that's what, that was the shape of it. And it came up from the ground in the trees in front of us. Uh, and there's nothing at the back but open land, farmland. There's no electricity poles. There's nothing. And bang. And it, it also took, if, it, if, it, if we saw it appear in less than a second, it took two seconds to dissipate. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? So we literally went straight to it. And I mean, we would have been at that spot in 30 seconds. Bob and PJ went into the car park. They're looking for any cars, anybody. We want an explanation. Craig, who was ex-military, that don't matter, but he went at one side of this, this edge row, I went at the other, and we both walked it. Bob's just stood looking at his middle neutral, and we, we walk it right up to perimeter at RAF base. Nothing. Powerful torches, there's nothing. I went the next morning early looking for scorch marks. We know where it came from. Absolutely nothing. And these are kind of things. Expect the unexpected, but, you know, Unexplained phenomena does not perform to order. We, we They went looking UFO-type phenomena, looking for some kind of 
I wouldn't say entertainment, but they're looking for something of their interest. We're literally walking back to the car park and there's this explosion and it was unified. It was, it was an elongated triangle shape that just come up from the earth. Nobody expected to see it. You couldn't have, you couldn't even make that up. So we've got, we haven't got five witnesses. We've got myself, Bob, Craig and Rick. PJ didn't see it, but there's four witnesses there. And uh, once again, I've no proof of it. Only, on, the only proof that exists is inside my mind and inside Rick's and Craig's and Bob's. But that is the nature of unexplained phenomena. And that is why we're all so enthralled. Once we've been bit by this phenomena, once we've had a taste of it, we just dig and dig and dig. Some of us dig a bit deeper. You mentioned um, a black Range Rover Vogue uh, that appeared on the cliffs. Now you said 16th September. What, what year was that? I think it was 2019. I'm glad uh, you've got you've got the date. Uh, forgive me if it were 18, but someone tells me it were 19. And once again, I was with Bob Brown. Bob's an absolute diamond. You know, he's, he's so enthusiastic. I'm, I hope I'm as enthusiastic at 74. So we'd we'd gone up. We planned on just taking some cameras up, hoping to film the light form phenomena. There'd been a few un unusual things seen, and as we're walking along the clifftops towards Flamborough, and the, during the winter months, there's nobody around. Uh, summertime, when the birds come, the seabirds, obviously you'll get people early evening and you'll get quite a lot of people looking out to sea uh, and observing. So distant fields, probably three to 400 yards away, this hill. And as we're walking, I said, look at that, Bob. And there's a, there's a black Range Rover. I didn't know it was a Vogue at the time. And it's blacked out windows and it's there. And as we're walking, it's sort of paralleling us. Obviously, we're not doing anything wrong. And uh, if it were a farmer unnerved about people on the clifftops, he'd have to be there every day during the summertime, or, or well, any time in day, because there are people about. So then it just it sort of veered off and went inland, but it's open fields, there's nothing there. And we didn't give it much thought, and we carried on walking, and we'd actually walked down to what we'd spoke about earlier, what's called Wolf Gate, a mile to three quarters of a mile away. And we, we set off back and we, we, there's a seat midpoint and we planned on resting there, setting cameras up on tripods and hoping we might be able to film these lights should they be appear. Uh, it's, a, it's a thankless task because we've tried for years and the beat us to the punch every time. But uh, we, we set the cameras up, we're waiting. It's dark by now. We forgot about the Range Rover. Oh, well, we've not been talking about it. And the crop had been cut, so we just got stubble. And I heard it. I could hear the crunching of the stubble. And I, I looked down into the distance. I could see well the, the area that we'd called Wolfgate, where the, the style, uh, or I knew that's where it were, the edge of the field. And I said, Bob, I said, that, that vehicle's coming back. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I can hear it. I said, it's got no headlights on. It's coming up in the dark. And it'd be about, I don't know, time and nine half past. I don't know what time it was, to be honest with you. Bob, Bob will, because he's very good like that. Look at the diary. So it, it literally came up. It loomed out of the darkness and we're at this seat and it stopped behind us. This inter, this inter public park, people, this is on edge of cliffs in the middle of nowhere. When we say it's a seat, it's just a eight by, eight by four piece of wood on two stabs of wood in ground. It's, it's, it's not anything elaborate. And I, I, me, the nature of me the next day, I, just so you know, I measured it. 
But so the next day I might be lying there, people. But I went back and measured it. From where it parked, it was 30 foot away. So it's not in another field. It's 30 foot away from us. So it just stopped in the darkness, blacked out windows. I could see that it were a really smart vehicle. How it was seeing in the dark, I don't know. So I'm assuming they'd got some kind of night vision uh, for them to be able to see because they say it were black. And uh, it sat there for ages. Bob said, what shall we do? Shall we go? Well, what's the point? I'm 58, Bob's 74. They're in a Range Rover. It's, it's not the time to run. And you've literally 20 foot away. You've got edge at North Sea and 300 foot cliffs. So we just sit here, Bob. We're not breaking no laws. It stayed there for about 10 minutes and then just slowly drove off. It didn't wind the windows down or anything. And uh, listen to me showing me age, wind the windows down on a Range Rover Volk. Uh, but uh, you know no windows came down it could have been something perfectly innocent but why would you be be driving a flash vehicle like that a really class vehicle in the dark headlights off on fields well if we were 20 foot from cliffs it's 50 foot from cliff from cliff tops i immediately when it was started going into distance i rang the farmer uh correct myself here uh, Craig, I rang the farmer when I first saw it and said, have you got any unusual vehicles up here? Should they be out on land? And I said, why? I said, because there's a black Range Rover that's pacing us as we're walking along the cliff tops. I said, it looks a decent vehicle, quite flash. And uh, he had a ring around. He says, no, there shouldn't be nobody up there. Uh, we, we don't know. And, you know, they're all pretty close-knit, these people. So... What that we're doing, I don't know. We'd, we'd encountered a Range Rover in a field entrance a few weeks previous, tucked away, just out of entrance, just slightly upfield, and that were a black one. Whether it was the same one, I don't know. And I might be, I might be reading things into this that, that don't really fit. I know it were a bit intimidating. It were unnerving. And it, it, there were other stuff happening. It were at the time when other strange things were being seen. And it just makes you wonder. You know, are, are, you, are you sort of lifting stones up and looking at things that you shouldn't be looking at and creating a bit of attention on yourself, you know? Well, given the, the nature of, of the investigations you do, Paul, you're not surprised that, that perhaps you don't come to the attention of... I mean, we call them the men in black, don't we? Um, and, you know, there are obviously government employees, shall we say, out there that are investigating these... Um, these unknown phenomena. So given the nature of your investigations and, and the fact that, you know, you are, you are quite well known in the area, especially to, you know, for, for doing these investigations, do you not find it strange that perhaps you don't come to the attention of these people more often? Or do you think you do and you just don't know it? I, I probably do. And I don't know it. I mean, uh, you know, do, uh, do some people make more of a meal of something that, that's not actually happening. You see, I'm questioning what, could there be some kind of plausible reason for this Range Rover? But it, I don't think it were people, it, it rules out people lamping, should we say. I don't know if people know practice of lamping where you, you'd sort of stick a powerful headlight or a powerful light onto a, a, an animal such as a rabbit or a deer. And once it's frozen headlights, you shoot it or let a dog go and, and sort of bring it down, which is a pretty horrible thing to do. But that, that's, that's, the nature of people this thing had no lights on it were a very very high quality vehicle it weren't something that had been sprayed and and it were an old land rover a discovery or something this you know what i mean this this were a good vehicle 
driving along these fields in pitch black. And he, I mean, there's another point that I'd not thought about. It, it was so dark. Why? How did he even know me and Bob were there? Yeah, he stopped. And I don't mean he stopped to right of us or to left of us. It literally stopped 30 foot behind us. And uh, I found it in, intimidating. I thought that was intimidation, to be honest with you. And uh, I haven't got lots of examples of things like, like you've just been talking about there, of, of that kind of thing happening. You, uh, years ago, I think it was, I'll say years ago, 2018, it might, it might have been 17. Uh, yeah, it would have been 18. My wife and myself, I'm useless with mobile phones, people, and I usually get them. I've got four girls, as I've said, and if, if one of them's got a phone that they've changed, I get their old phone. So Jessica gave me a, an HTC phone, which needed unlocking. So where are we going with this story, you're, you're asking yourself? So we, we leave our house, um, I don't know, early morning, not too early. Shops, we work, shops are already open. It's a freezing cold day, but sunny. So someone tells me it was, it was sort of, it was November time and one of them days where it's still sunny, but very cold. And our house, our, our street fans out. It's like a fan and there's, there's a row of shops up other side of the road. There's a barber's shop, a off license and, and a ladies hairdressers. And it goes out on this fan. And as we're walking down, this man shouts at us. And, and I sort of look and I think, I, I don't know what I'm thinking. I just sort of, oh yeah, yeah. And he's, he's un unusually, he's, he's got trousers on and his shirt's off. And he's got a bald head and he's, he looks like an action man. That's as much as I can say. He, he's, he's got all muscles are there, lean and in the right place. But it, it looks like plastic. <clears throat> but I didn't think that. I weren't forming that opinion at first, I've got to admit. And as I, as I got closer, he went, I said, he shouted something else and he said something about the light. And I said, oh, yeah, enjoy the sunshine, mate. We've not got many more days like this left. And I didn't, I didn't, you know, I just thought he's odd. And it, but he was shouting. We know now because we can remember, but we weren't taking it in. You're bringing down the light. You're causing big problems. You know what you're doing. You're bringing down the light. And then I shouted, oh, yeah, enjoy the sunshine. And, I, and I, we, went, we rounded corner. I said to Mary, I said, God, he were odd, weren't he? You know, that strange guy, he were. And we went to this shop uh, up on Promenade and I handed them the phone and they said, you can pick it up, I don't know, in an hour or so and we'll unlock it and it'll be ready for you to use. And we set off back. So we, we, were, we were on way back in 10 minutes and now is at our side of the street. I, I, and to tell you how unnerving you were, Craig, I considered going back, going home the other way. So I didn't have to bump into him. because So I must have realised there was something wrong. Because I, I'm the kind of person that faces problems. I don't often run away from problems. And I don't mean I'm sort of all macho and stuff, but if I've got something to say and I think I'm right, I will say it and I will stand up for myself. But anyway, so I did consider going other way. So anyway, we didn't. We're walking back down and I said to Mary, I said, oh, God, he's there. And he sat on low wall, which is about 24 inch high, bottom at street, other side at street, our side. Well, and then I knew it was him, just with shape. And he's, this time he's got a very dark brown, tight-fitting jumper on. So he's put a jumper on. I didn't know he'd got glasses on, so I could see back of his head, his ball. And we're walking towards him. And as we, before we got to him, he turned round. He's got wraparound sunglasses on. And he went, you know what you're doing. 
You've got to stop. You're causing big problems. You're bringing down the light. You know what you are doing. And I said, I'm sorry, mate, but I, I don't know who you are, but, you know, fair enough. But he said, you know what you're doing? He got really forceful. And in, I don't know why, but I, I, I ended up stood face to face with this guy. And Mary's, he's facing me and Mary's sort of so, to our left, quite close. And it's, all he's talking about, I'm bringing down the light. And, 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 and I, I was trying to argue with him, as in rationalise what he was saying. And everything I said, he turned round into an argument. I was trying to reason with this guy. And I couldn't work out how old he was because his skin looked like spam. It, it was weird. Do, do you know what I mean? And I couldn't discern any wrinkles or anything. And then he, he reached out, because he kept saying, I'm going to bring you down the light. And he reached out and touched Mary on the shoulder. And there were one moment, and, and I think it was weird, because I, I was so close, I didn't do it, to grabbing his wrist. But I know if I had, we were rolling round on the floor. You know, I've been 56 years old. I don't want to be doing that. But that's the nature of what it, was, it felt like. But he just touched her shoulder, he says, I'm not talking to her, then moved his hand. I'm talking to you. You're causing big problems. You're, you, you know what you are doing. You are bringing down the light. I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going. And we walked away and he's still shouting it to us. We went in house. Mary was sort of unnerved. She's not as interested in unexplained phenomena. She's a bit like girls as what I am, obviously. And uh, but she said, you were strange, Paul. It's frightened me. Do you think you were an alien? Her exact words. And I just didn't know. We looked at CCTV. We saw him move away. And then a few days later at the bottom of the street, and this guy might get to hear it. So there again, I love putting people, I love putting names out if I can to back up what I'm saying. And John, the barber, who I've known for 30 years, and he sort of come out at shop as I'm going down. He says, who was that bloke the other day? I says, what do you mean? He goes, well, he said, I've got a couple of customers in and we were watching him. He were waiting for you. I says, what do you mean? He says, he said, we were watching him for ages and he, we knew we were waiting for somebody and we couldn't, he looked so unusual with his shirt off and, and we couldn't work out what he was doing. He says, but soon as you appeared, when we saw you, he'd fixed on you. I says, right. And I said to John, this was before COVID. Uh, obviously, it, it, I've heard all this in 2018 off John. But before COVID, we've talked about it afterwards. I said, would you go on camera and, and, and tell us your observations and what you saw? Doesn't make it any more real, Craig, but it just adds a bit more weight to what I'm saying. And he's agreed to. So we'll get John, John the Barber from Lansdowne Road, because I live on Blackburn Avenue. I don't mind saying where I live, uh, to, 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 to step forward and say what he saw that day. And most unusual guy. And that, that were almost intimidating. It, it were intimidating because ugh, ordinarily I were looking at him, we were trying to weigh him up and I were looking at his physique and, I were, you know, looking at the shape. And uh, ordinarily, I'd have a bit, if I'd have been a younger man, I'd have been really falling out with that guy. Do you know what I'm saying? And he'd got enough about him. I think he knew. Do you think he was, he was military? I don't know. I don't know. He, he didn't actually skin. He looked normal. He just, it looked like spam. Yeah. Just... That's, that's a strange thing, Paul, that you mentioned there, because I mean, you said it was November ish. So, yeah. it, you know, it, it was a, it was a, a, a very bright, cold, a bright, exactly. Very cold. 
we know it gets like up on the northeast coast. It's mm. racing, to put it mildly. Who in the right mind will be stood there waiting for somebody if indeed they were <laughs> for you? There's uh, another part of this story I've not told you. Sorry for cutting shirt on. <laughs> uh, yeah, but is when he's stood at the other side of the road, beside him, leaning on the wall, is an old green bicycle. Same kind of green as what's on a treacle tin. You've pictured people picture that. And uh, it's got a leather bag on the back of it. Looks looks like some out of them old bread adverts. It's absolutely, didn't have basket on front, but it's absolutely wore out. But what were interesting, because Mer, when I'm talking to this guy the second time, as we've come back, Mary's actually facing this, looking across the road at it. And she said, the bike didn't have any brakes on it. And I asked him where he was from. As you say, I'd forgot about this. I asked him where he was from. And the only bit of information I got out of him was Rickle. And we, did, we couldn't even remember the name. And, excuse me, I don't think it's got any bearing on this guy, but a few weeks later in the paper, so that's why we know it must have been November, because it was December, a man had vanished at Bempton from Rickle. They said his name and everything, and, and uh, it, it, I, I always find it delicate talking about missing people because I realise that, you know, it's somebody's, it's somebody's son, it's somebody's wife, you know, and it's, 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 I, I don't like to be insensitive. But when it came up on news about this, this chap that had gone missing, he was from Rickle. I, I need to stress, it weren't him that we bumped into, definitely by 110%, it weren't him. But that's what jogged our memory because me and Mary couldn't remember where he said he, he were from. And he said he was from Rickle, which were unusual. And But then Mary noted that there were no brakes on bike. So how he'd got 40-odd miles to not the little hamlet to a little village in North Yorkshire on a bike with no brakes is beyond me. You know, so just, just an interesting story. Yeah, I'll tell you what's interesting as well. Uh, it was just over the month, but that chap, I often talk about the missing people simply because I do think that too many people are insensitive and treat it as entertainment that somebody's gone missing because they're, they're investigating something of a paranormal nature. Something, some things can be just tragic accidents, but I don't treat any of uh, the part of somebody going missing as entertainment. I take it really serious, but that guy went missing and I I think it was mid-December. Forgive me for not having dates in front of me. And then in January, before a full month had gone up into, into the next year, uh, so I, I, I know now that it weren't 2018, uh, but, but we were in same. So we, let's assume we've gone from 2016 to 2017 in January. So it, this guy went missing in December. In January of the next year, less than a month in between, another one went missing. And then just after the month, I think it was about, I don't know, 33 days after the first one went missing, 16 miles up the coast, another one went missing. Uh, I used to say the names of, I just feel, I, I don't know, maybe it's me being too, too cautious i just feel that we've got to be so respectful to these people well yeah, that's fact. Yeah. that is that is fact mm. and i'll tell you what's interesting because i spoke to police about this i said you i said you i weren't very nice to them to be honest with you i said you're all you're pretty useless all of you you're missing the point here i said i said if this was in a village or if this was in a town and you've got three men gone 
in just over a month, in close proximity, there'd be absolutely major investigations. But you've got one that's gone missing from North Yorkshire, you've got one that's gone missing from Hull, and you've got one that's gone missing from York. And you've got different police forces attached. I didn't realise if somebody went missing in an area that it was... Let's assume I go, I go missing and I'm from Birmingham, but I'm in Bridlington. It's Birmingham police that investigate it. I didn't realise that. I thought that the police force in this vicinity would... Initially, they'd probably investigate it, but, but it's handed, then handed over to the police force from the point of origin, the place where they're from. So you've got three different police forces, and maybe two with York and... But nobody seemed to... Not, even, even police I spoke to were surprised. I said, you got three gone in just over a month. I said, you, I said type in Eastern North Yorkshire on missing people. I said, you've got a, you could, it'll throw up like a draft board of faces. Because I contacted Missing Persons Bureau. I, I, said, I said, you're all missing a trick here. And this isn't me being Columbo. I'm no, I'm no expert. I'm no better than anybody else. I said, but I said, you've got a, you've got a checkerboard of faces. Do you realise that I think it was, I don't know whether it was seven or nine of them have gone missing at Bempton. But you say from York, from Hull, from, from North Yorkshire. I said, the common denominator here is this location. But nobody's picking, oh, well, we don't put that. We have to put where they live. I said, well, you're all missing a trick. Mm. In my, this is my opinion, people. I mean, there might be people listening to this say, you're way off mark here, Paul, you know? And, and, and let's, let's just be clear. I'm not about attaching an unexplained phenomena to this. I don't know what's happening. I might write about unexplained phenomena. I wrote about these people in the first book purely because it's very strange that, that, that they've vanished without trace in an area where other strange things happen. And that's it. That's where it stops because I don't attach any of the things I've spoke about before to these disappearances because I simply have no proof. And it is such a small area, really, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's it's a massive coincidence, isn't it? Let's put it that way. Short Lane, 1991. Let's get start at Short Lane, just briefly, because I don't know how far we're going with this. Short Lane, I think it was 1991. Just It, it might be 1990, slipped into 1991, but the, 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 a guy was seen apparently, at the entrance of Short Lane, and they assume, the police assume he'd been hit by a vehicle with bull bars. Nobody knows. They just assume. From there, he'd stripped off and ran for a mile up Bempton Lane with a broken collarbone, massive internal injuries, monstrous head injuries, broken ribs, and he'd managed to strip his clothes off. He'd, he'd, to my mind, he'd, he'd, he'd knocked out the ability to strip his clothes off with a broken collarbone. And and he collapsed at the entrance of, of, of a farm. Uh, and this is how things have changed. You, you can't say certain things, but he collapsed at the entrance of a farm and he'd run a mile. Uh, the police said, we're not looking to blame anybody for the death of this man. We just want somebody to step forward and clear up the mystery. They may not even been aware that they'd hit him. Now, I contacted the former owners of the farm. He didn't collapse at the entrance of the farm. He collapsed under their bathroom window, which is about 80 foot away from entrance of the farm, in between a windmill and their bathroom window. And uh, they thought, initially, he'd, he'd, he'd either climbed the windmill and dropped, 
they did they just didn't know the police came and the, the, the poor unfortunate man had died uh, i spoke to a police officer who were involved and he thought he'd been dropped from the air uh it's a strange one and they said that the the body clock would have carried on running and his natural and his th body's thermostat would have overheated and that's why he removed his clothes so that's he said the body clock so it's implying he's already dead the body would have carried on running but and then we still run to the part i still run i still go to the part where he'd got a broken collarbone severe internal injuries massive head trauma and broken ribs yet he stripped his clothes off and ran for a mile i can't possibly say now in 2000 in 2021 that there was some unexplained phenomena phenomena involved in this any more than i can say it were a hit and run but it's just an highly unusual case and and do you know what it do you know what it reminds me of paul when you were describing it Mm -hmm. You know the Alan Godfrey case from Todman? Yep. Well, he obviously was a serving police officer and he investigated about a week before he had his, his um, encounter um, a body which was found on the top of a, a pile of coal. And it was Zygmunt stripped. The Damsky, it? That's the one, Adamski. And he was stripped from the waist upwards. Mm. But of course, they couldn't work out how he got up there because he wasn't full of coal dust. You know, I mean, you know, people can can look the case up, but that just sort of reminded me of that. How you were explaining this guy it was almost like, as you say, been dropped from from a height, and he was almost sort of running on adrenaline to try and get away from somewhere or something. I mean, it's a horrible way to, you know, to 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 pass on from this life. But it's a it's a perplexing story. Well, how do you run though? How do you how 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 does the body have the ability to shed its clothes with a broken collarbone? Uh, you know, and and it and it takes a lot of trauma. To, obviously, I suppose being hit with a vehicle could break your collarbone. But then the wording in the in the newspaper article, we are not looking to blame anybody. I think I wrote in the book, the police talk about this as though somebody's ran over a rabbit. Mm or somebody's pet dog i said this is i said this is a human being we're not looking to blame anybody yeah it's almost like a cover-up isn't it well, well yeah i'd be reluctant to say cover-up but it's it's strange that that it were worded like that and we, we merely want the person the people involved to step forward and say come forward and i'm thinking good god i can't imagine that today and uh reading it i mean it's a it's a newspaper articles and as I say, I think it's in the third book. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, no, nothing surprises me. Expect the unexpected. Well, no, absolutely, Paul. And it has been, um, it's been wonderful to talk to you. It's been absolutely fascinating. I'd love to have you back on again because I've got so many more questions. I mean, we've only just scratched the surface of, of the UFO investigations. Um, so I'd, I'd love to talk to you again at some point in the future. I just want to wish you good luck with um, with the the, uh, the documentary that you mentioned. Um, I'll certainly be watching that because I think that's a really interesting subject. Uh, there's obviously something going on up there. Um, we know there's something going on up there. Uh, what's causing it, again, is probably a discussion for, for another time. Um, but as I say, I am really grateful for you coming on tonight, Paul. Thank you so much. Um, and as I say, good good luck with, with your future endeavours. Paul, can you just tell us where we can find your books, please? Well, the books are available on Amazon, and they're also available on our website, truthproof.uk. 
uh, the same price on on whatever platform you want to get them from. And if anybody wants to contact me direct, I don't mind supplying you with the book and signing them. And yeah, by all means, get in touch with your reports, your sightings, anything. And uh, I'll treat everybody with the same respect that they treat me. Thank you. Do you have Facebook uh, a Facebook page, Paul? We do. We have. I'm on Facebook as Paul Sinclair, but we also have a Truth Proof page on Facebook where people often send sighting reports. And we also have a YouTube channel, Truth Proof YouTube channel, where there's, uh, well, yourself. We, we interviewed you a few weeks ago and we've got live stream there, which we do most Fridays. So there's some interesting guests. Thank you to Paul for a really interesting and thought provoking discussion. If you like this podcast, please visit my website at craigbryant.co.uk where you can find my book and my latest research. And remember to keep watching The Shadows. Paranormal Pendle will return. (laughs) 